Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs, and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The World in 10, the Times of London's unique take on world events every day. It is Alex Dibble and Eleanor Shearwood with you today. In the last few years, there have been a number of high-profile cases of sexual abuse in sport, and the Times has a key development about one of the biggest athletes in Britain. Also, the Times' man in Italy's realised he might have been served lunch by a mafia boss. Bradley Wiggins is, or Sir Bradley Wiggins, is one of Great Britain's most successful Olympians of all time. He has won five gold medals, and on top of all his Olympic medals, he has won the Tour de France. And last year, he revealed that he had been sexually abused as a child um, in the cycling world. And in the last few days... That story has developed further. Yeah, so in an interview with The Times on Saturday, Wiggins revealed more details about what happened, including how the coach showed him how to clean body parts, claiming that would help his performance. And today, the story has moved on again. Here's The Times's Ben Ellery. Our investigation has revealed the identity mm. of the cycling coach and also uncovered that there were other children abused by this man who, who abused Sir Bradley Wiggins. And um, Stan Knight was a coach at the renowned Archer Road Club in West London. And uh, that was where he uh, sexually abused Wiggins from the age of 12. Uh, Knight, who was in his 70s when Wiggins first joined the club, would take him away to a youth hostel in Devon, where they would sleep in the same bed and shower together Uh, And now we have discovered that Knight, who passed away in 2003, abused at least one other boy at the club who has told us that there are potentially others there who were also assaulted. Now, the boy mentioned in what you heard just then has spoken to The Times anonymously, but his testimony has been voiced here. Stan took advantage of this slightly blurred line between what's required to be fit and for the sport and what's not acceptable. Stan was not just pushing the boundaries, he went way beyond the boundaries. He would give massages, which would end up with fondling. You kind of wriggle and writhe and push away and stuff like that. And then you kind of get through it. And then it stops. Stan was utterly useless as a coach. He was like a child. An utter idiot. It was like he used the club just to be around boys. Speaking to to this victim, 
you really get a sense of um, how they've not spoken about it for, for years. This is the mm. first time that they've, they've spoken about it and the sort of cathartic uh, feelings that it that it is having. And it does feel like there needs to be a, a real reckoning. And British Cycling is, is saying that it's trying to establish the details of the original investigation and is urging others to get in touch. Now, there's a big question hanging over the Ukraine war at the moment, and it's whether or not there's going to be a spring counteroffensive. Well, in The Times today, Catherine Philp, who's out there, has been speaking to soldiers, and they say it's probably the next step in the war. And one of them that Catherine spoke to said nobody knows exactly when the order will come. This is the order to begin that counteroffensive. We have to be prepared at every moment. Uh, but Catherine does say in her piece that if and when the offensive begins, the front line in Zaporizhia is a probable place to strike. Now, aside from the usual dangers of a war zone, there's an added risk here because the region's the home of the world's second largest nuclear power plant. It's four times the size of Chernobyl. So obviously there's huge concern throughout Europe, but specifically from the UN Atomic Agency, who says the situation at the plant is, and this is a quote, increasingly unpredictable and potentially dangerous. Now, Hamish de Bretton-Gordon is the former commanding officer of the UK's Chemical, Biological, Radiological and Nuclear Regiment. And he's been speaking to Times Radio. And he says that one thing that's reassuring is that this plant is modern and therefore it's very unlikely that a missile hitting it would cause a chain reaction. But he did say there are other possibilities for contamination. Now the authorities have much better way of monitoring this uh, potential radiation so it could react more quickly. However... If there was a Chernobyl-type fire and explosion, then you know, the contamination would, would probably be as significant as Chernobyl. And, and I think everybody knows that. And you know, quite a lot of that contamination actually came down uh, in the UK, predominantly in North Wales. So it is a threat to the whole of Europe. It really depends which way the what we call downwind hazard is going at the moment, where, where that radiation would go. I think equally it could go east uh, into Russia and hopefully that would prevent the Russians doing something really demonstrative and creating you know, a massive contamination event. Okay, Alex, imagine this. It's a lovely summer's evening in Italy. You've got an Aperol spritz in one hand, a slice of pizza in the other. There's the Colosseum in the background. And then it takes a dark turn because it turns out your favourite pizza restaurant in the city is run by mafia bosses. <laughs> well, that's almost exactly what happened to the Timesman in Rome, Tom Kington. Yes, and the restaurant you're referring to, isn't it? It's called Palotta. Mm -hmm. It's 200 years old. And there is a personal connection that Tom has with this restaurant because it's where his Italian wife first took him when he arrived in Rome and where his son ate his first pizza. Exactly. So it seemed to be kind of his go-to. And even as changes in management brought up rumours of the mafia, he kept going. There's a part of the piece on the Times website where Tom Kington says he doesn't subscribe to stereotypes. And he says that's why he kept going there. Pizza was still good. Prices were still good. You know, you, you tend to think these days in, in Rome, when restaurants get a makeover and a, a, new, a new management team, what's going on? Unfortunately, because there's been such a lot of investment by different mafia groups in restaurants in the city, they tend to uh, 
launder their drug money through these places. They may make a loss. They don't really care because even if they throw away a bit of money, what comes out from their business will be clean money. And it looks like that was what was happening here because it's believed that this restaurant was part of the Indrangheta Mafia group from the south of Italy in the toe bit. Now, 200 arrests have been made and Tom says the police have become wise to these mafia group's tactics. What they're on the lookout often is for people who are nominally in charge of restaurants who really don't have those kind of qualifications and they tend to be just front people. You know, they, a mafia boss would have taken taken someone kind of almost at random and said, right, you're going to be the name in charge of this restaurant. The restaurant will be in, in your name. Uh, just do what I tell you. I'll be in the background. So when the police see that kind of thing, they often think, OK, this means that there'll be some kind of uh, criminal organisation. If you want to see the piece, you can head over to the Times website. It actually includes mugshots of people who'd previously been serving Tom his pizza. Now, we've been talking about the coronation of King Charles all weekend, and if you were listening to The World in 10, you would have heard me outside Westminster Abbey, um, which was pretty special. But the focus still seems to be now, a couple of days after, on one particular person who's with bit of the star of the show really <laughs> uh, Penny Mordaunt her official title is Lord President of the Council um, which I think sounds like it's a made up job title but it's not and she had a very special part to play didn't she yeah she did so she was responsible for carrying the sword of state which weighs precisely 3.6 kilograms and she had to hold that for precisely 51 minutes while she was stood alongside King Charles. Now, she spoke to Times Radio last week while she was still practising. I am representing the King's authority and I'm going to be doing a number of things, but uh, the, one of them will be carrying the sword of state, which is uh, the heaviest sword, so I've been doing some press-ups, but that, that represents his authority. And uh, it was one of two swords that were made for Charles II. Only one survives, and that's, that's the sword of state. Now, Penny Mordaunt drew so much attention that she was still trending on Twitter while we were working on this earlier. And the Times today is reporting that she drew on her time in the Navy to help her through, especially standing still for long periods of time without passing out. Now, you may remember that Penny Mordaunt finished third in the race to be Prime Minister when Liz Truss won. But she was such a hit at the coronation um, that bookies have now shortened the odds on her becoming the next Prime Minister. And she is now second behind the business secretary, Kemi Badenoch. Well, no matter how popular that might have made her, I'm pretty sure the next time she's in Parliament, she won't be carrying a massive sword. That's it for today's World in 10. We'll be back tomorrow. And don't forget, you can read more on all of these stories by taking out a Times digital subscription. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, it's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Cross wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across sheffield from the 31st of may to the 2nd of june so other podcasters that you'll be able to see include katie price Catherine ryan romash ranganathan and the original adam buxton but there's also a whole host of free fringe events family shows surprise acts and after parties that jane and i haven't yet been invited to i'm sure it's only a matter of time head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information